Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, chapter 35. I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak to you tonight. And it's good to be here. He mentioned I'm from North Brooklyn Baptist Church. I always, uh, not to poke fun at him or anything or correct him, but I always say I'm from Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, there would be no Open Door. There would be no North Brooklyn without Open Door. And uh, we, uh, the more we are in this endeavor of trying to start a new church, the more convinced we are of God's method of, uh, of using churches to start churches. Uh, just become more convinced of that method uh, uh, every time, every week, week by week, and situation by situation. I want to thank everyone represented here that's been praying for us, that's been giving to the church, that's been um, just been engaged in what's going on there. A big question I get all the time is, what can I do? Well, like I just said, there would be no North Brooklyn Baptist Church without Open Door Bible Baptist Church. So one of the first and best things you can do is be faithful here. Be a giver here. Be a prayer here. Be uh, an amen or be a minister. Do, do whatever it is that God has you doing here in this church because we cannot go on if open door is not strong. And uh, we, I truly mean that with all my heart. So uh, thank you so much. If, even if you feel like, oh, I'm not really involved as much as I want to be, trust me, you are. <laughs> because we are able to do everything that we do in Greenpoint because the church here is faithful, because the church here is strong. Um, and uh, if it wasn't, it would be a very different situation. So thank you, and thank you for praying for us, uh, especially now. This is kind of, we've entered into maybe the um, unglamorous part of church planning when it doesn't really seem like a whole lot is going on. We've had some difficult services the last few weeks. Not a lot of people have, uh, have been coming, and maybe that's just part of the summer thing, although I don't like to think that way, and I don't like to make excuses. But, um, uh, you know, it's been challenging, but God will get us past this. God will get us through it, and uh, he will build his church. So just continue to pray for us if you would. And um, pray that God will continue to meet our needs. We had the Baptist church planners there uh, Tuesday. Uh, men, uh, pastors from upstate drove down, passed out tracts. Brother Franz was there. Brother Saravia uh, from uh, downstairs preached a great message for us. Really good message. He just he brought it. It was excellent. And um, and then we they went out to the neighborhood, passing out John and Romans, and uh, had a, a lot of good testimonies about good uh, visits made. So we're anticipating uh, an exciting Sunday. But here we are tonight, and we're in Second Chronicles chapter 30, 35. Second Chronicles 35. We've been preaching, or we just recently completed uh, a series in the book of Second Chronicles and Second Kings. Now we've just started this past Sunday uh, preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, very, very excited. Uh, it is the, uh, some author has called it the Christian Manifesto. Others have called it um, the essence of Christian counterculture. But however you define it, the Sermon on the Mount is just one of those mountain peaks in the Bible. And sometimes those can be the scariest to go through as a preacher, so pray for me, uh, and uh, that we'll communicate it well. But we just recently finished several months in the life of Josiah. We called that time in the life of Josiah, Seeking God, How to Start and Restart a Life for the Glory of God. You know, that's what Josiah's life was all about. It was a fresh start for the nation, and it was also kind of a restart for the nation. And that's where we are in our lives sometimes. Either we're just starting out for God or we're restarting for God. (laughs) Can everybody hear me okay? All right. All right, good. We're either starting for God or we're restarting for God. How many of you have some years in your life that you would like to just 
erase and say, why, why wasn't I seeking God in that time? You know, we all, we have some, all of us, I'm sure, have those times in our lives. And that's what Josiah's life really speaks to. He was a good king of Judah. He was a good king for the nation. But like all Bible characters, they are unfiltered. In other words, God lets us see the best about them and the worst about them. That's what I like. That's what we don't have legends in the Bible. OK, you know what legends are, right? You know, it, it's a it's a raw, gritty, almost maybe boring story that gets refined and refined and retold and retold and retold until everyone's wearing shining armor and uh, the hero can do no wrong. That's a legend. OK, the Bible has no legends. God is perfectly willing in the scriptures to show you the greatness of his servants and the weakness of his servants. I believe that adds to the validity of the Bible, the why you can trust it to be true, because God is certainly not afraid to show you people for how they really are. And it helps you identify with the characters in the Bible so much more because it doesn't set unrealistic expectations. You see, oh, that guy failed too. That guy got that straightened out. That lady got that straightened out. I can do that. God can do that in my life too. And it makes you rely on it that much more. Anyway, that made sense to me. I don't know if it makes sense to you. Give me an, an amen or northeast amen is just bobbing your head up and down. Wherever you want to do it. So we went through the life of Josiah. Now, tonight, and I, I, I brought one of those messages previously on a Thursday night here uh, about the uh, cleaning out of the temple, right? And we talked about, uh, it was a few months ago here at Open Door, uh, but I brought one of those messages from the life of Josiah where Josiah had cleaned out the temple, he had cleaned out all the idol worship, and he had uh, reinstituted the Passover, and he had gotten things straightened out. And uh, it was fun how he went from, not only did he clean out things there in Jerusalem, but he went city to city. So cities that thought, ah, the, you know, we can do whatever we want, the king never comes here. Well, then one day the king showed up <laughs> and everyone got nervous and he went through there and he cleaned out the idol worship and broke down the groves and the worship of Baal uh, and set things straight. Now, tonight, we're in the final chapter of Josiah's life. This is the end of Josiah's life, the end of his reign. And as we have uh, talked about here and as we talked about in the previous months in North Brooklyn, uh, the best of Josiah's life. Now we come to the worst of Josiah's life where he made a mistake, where he made a misstep that quite literally cost him his life. And that's what we're going to look at tonight is how do people that seem to have everything to gain, that have everything straight, that have everything that they need, why do they make such big messes of things sometimes? And we do that sometimes, don't we? We got everything going right. And then we do something that just makes absolutely no sense. I can identify with that. I can look back on my life and say, I've had those times. What was I thinking? I wish I could have done that over. Well, sometimes those mistakes have big consequences. That's what happened in the life of Josiah. I'd like to read the entire account. And it's in Second Chronicles chapter 34, beginning in verse 20 to the end of the chapter. So follow along with me as I read Second Chronicles 34, beginning in verse 20. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Charamish of, or excuse me, by Euphrates. And Josiah went out against him. And, but he sent ambassadors to him, saying, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. For God commanded me to make haste, Forbear thee for meddling with God, who is with me, 
that he destroy thee not. So hopefully you caught there that the king of Egypt is going to fight against the Assyrian army. And Josiah comes out and intercepts him as he's going around the city of Jerusalem. And he has to go quite out of his way from Jerusalem to intercept him. But he intercepts him and stops him. And the king of Egypt, kind of an unlikely preacher, tells the king Josiah, the king of God's people, I'm on a mission from God. Get out of my way. Interesting, huh? This, this account is strange. You find the right people doing the wrong thing and the wrong people doing the right thing. It's, it's, very, it's a very strange account. Verse 22. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him and hearken not unto the words of Necho from the mouth of God. Did you catch that? Necho, the king of the Pharaoh of Egypt, is speaking for God and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archer shot at King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, have me away, for I am sore wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot and put him in the second. And put him in the second chariot that he had. And they brought him to Jerusalem and he died and was buried in one of the sepulchers of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. And Jeremiah lamented for Josiah and all the singing men and singing women spake of Josiah and their lamentations to this day and made them an ordinance in Israel. And behold, they were written in the lamentations. Now, the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness, according to that which was written in the law of the Lord and his deeds, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Let's bow for a word of prayer tonight. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that in the midst of a busy week, after a long day of work, that, Lord, we can come into your house for a fresh perspective. Lord, to know your mind, your heart, your thoughts on how we're to live our lives. Lord, thank you that we we can come into the sanctuary of God and we get a better understanding about how the world is really working, about what you're doing in this world. We can have hope. We can increase our faith. We can strengthen one another. We can bear one another's burdens. Lord, thank you for this church. And Lord, may you uh, build your church in North Brooklyn, in Greenpoint, God, in our endeavor there. And God, may we together serve you, serve God's people, and spread the gospel throughout our city, throughout our world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Josiah's life, and particularly his last moments in life, the last decisions he made in his life, teach us this, that in times of success, we can be tempted to take on fights that we're not ready for or that are not our own. We see that in Josiah's life in the account that we just read, that as we mentioned before, the king of Egypt was coming up against the king of Assyria. And I don't want to give you a huge history lesson tonight, uh, but um, you got to have a little bit to, to understand what's going on here. You never want to pluck verses out of the Bible and especially the Old Testament uh, without having some idea of the circumstances. And it's interesting, as we went through the life of Josiah and we began to look at the history and look at the background and look at the political circumstances of the day, what we found is that they're very, pretty similar to today. I think I, I left out part of the title there when I, I mentioned that to you about the title of our series. It was Seeking God, How to Start and Restart a Life for God in declining times. 
in declining times. I left that part out, but that was that was part of the title there, because for the nation of Judah, uh, Israel had already been carried off into captivity. But for the nation of Judah, they were in a time of decline where king after king had had a good start or or had a, a good middle reign or something like that or ended well. But overall, the nation was culturally in decline. And one thing we find for the life of Josiah, uh, he's visited by a prophetess at a time in his reign. And what she explains to him from God is this, that you are doing a lot of religious reforms and that's good. You've cleaned out the temple. You've got the Passover uh, straightened out and doing that right. You've got the priests back in their offices. Uh, uh, you've got the right type of priests, the right type of Levites in there. You're doing a lot of good. But I, that, that's what everyone sees. And God says, I see beyond that. This is two chapters back. I see beyond that. I see what's going on in the homes of the people of Israel. I see what's going on in their houses and their dwelling places. And I, I see beyond that. I see what's going on in their hearts. And although there's a lot of outside religious reform and that's a good thing and you should be doing that. I am not judging the nation as a whole. I am judging the nation as individuals and the individuals of this nation are not right with me. They still have idolatry in their hearts. They still have the ways of Jeroboam in their hearts, which we'll we'll talk about here a little bit later. And God sees beyond that and says, yes, continue your reforms. But understand, I have a future plan for this nation because of their rebellious heart against me. And that is a plan that has already been put in motion and is, is not going to stop just because you are a good king. I will give you peace throughout your days. I will give you blessings throughout your days. I will bring you to the grave in peace uh, and we, we read about that just a little bit there, how he, he did end up having a, a formal funeral and he was buried with the other kings and Jeremiah and the singers lamented over him. But God says, I have a plan for my nation that goes beyond you. And Josiah had done a lot of good. And, but now uh, the Assyrian uh, Empire is beginning to decline. And one of the greatest empires ever in world history is beginning its ascendancy. Babylon. And Babylon is growing and growing and growing. Of course, you know, eventually Nebuchadnezzar would come in and would destroy the nation of Israel and carry them off into captivity. That's where we hear uh, Jeremiah's, uh, uh, prophet, Jeremiah's time as a prophet would continue on into that captivity. That's where we find out about Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. All those guys, they, uh, that's, their, um, uh, that's their time in the Babylonian captivity. And the, the story of the nation goes on. And they ended up coming back from it, all those types of things. Uh, so there's this, this story indeed does go on. But Babylon is rising and there's a little bit of irony there. If you if you know the map of the region at all, and I've got to do it backwards since I'm standing on the stage. But if you have uh, Judah, Israel down here and then, uh, oh, boy, let me turn around this way. You have Judah and Israel down here and you have the Assyrians up to the north. And then Babylon goes across the fer- or excuse me. Then you go across the Fertile Crescent down to Babylon it's kind of an interesting irony that down here in Babylon, that's where Abraham had started, right? Where did God call Abraham from? Anybody know? The Ur of the Chaldees, right? You say, Brother Mike, on a Thursday night, why do I need to know about Middle Eastern geography? Well, it, there's just some interesting irony there that the place that God had called Abraham from and said, I'm going to take you to a land that I'm going to show you. Remember Abraham, how he got up by faith? God says, I want you to get up and go. Where do you want me to go, God? To a land I'm going to show you. And how will, how will we know that we're there when I tell you that you're there? 
And he went. Remember, he did the same thing with Moses. He said, get up and lead the people out of Egypt. And where are we going to go to a land I'm going to show you? And how will we know when we're there? When I tell you that you're there. I mean, he did the same thing with Moses. Exciting how God leads his people. And now because of their rebellious hearts, because their consistent idolatry, generation after generation after generation, after their constant rebellion against God. And I'm going to explain to you a little bit more in a minute exactly what that looked like. God is now taking them from Judah and he's taken Israel up to Assyria, and now he's going to lead Judah back basically in reverse from where Abraham went, because that's where just a little bit northwest of early Chaldees was Babylonia, the capital of Babylon. And God was literally taking his people right back to where they started in captivity. Isn't that amazing? How sin can undo all the progress God has made in your life. How, how, how much it can set you back. For them, quite literally, geographically, set them back. <laughs> to the year of the counties, to Babylon. Amazing. And so Judah is strengthening itself. There's religious revival, and that's good. And Josiah's revivals, I don't in any way want to belittle them because we spent a lot of time as we were preaching through the life of Josiah talking about how great things that they were in their moment, in their time, when they were occurring. They were great, and they were with good, they were with good motives. There's that exciting portion in there. Maybe you remember about when uh, Josiah uh, tells the priests, go in there, Levites, go in there and clean the temple out. And they go in there and they clean it out. And as they're cleaning it out, then there's some indication that it, it, it was around the place of where the temple coin was kept, which, is, which was kind of worthless in that time. And it was uh, perhaps now that they were having this revival would have um, had some value to it again. But they're digging through that temple coin and they find in that stuffed away in there a book. And it's the book of the law of God. Either, either the five books of Moses or the book of Deuteronomy. We're not sure which one. But they found God's word that they had gone on for years, year after year after year, time and time again. They had had religious services in the temple. They had had called themselves God's people. And yet there was no law. It is incredible how you can be religious and not once you can be religious and not once look into God's word where you create a religion for yourself. We're going to talk about in just a moment here about the sins of Jeroboam. That's, that was the big sin that, had, that, was hung up, that hung up the nation of Judah and Israel. And so the Assyrian Empire that had taken Israel away was starting to fade and Babylon was rising. And the nation of Egypt, uh, King Necho, as mentioned here, and there was others after him, thought it was an opportunity to go up and fight against Assyria and that conquering their lands would create some sort of a barrier between them and Babylon. Because if Babylon was ever going to come down and have conquest over Egypt, they would have to go through the Assyrian Empire. And so uh, we don't exactly know all the motives, but that seems the most political, the most uh, politicking way of looking at it, if you will, that the king of Egypt wanted to take on the Assyrians um, and perhaps create a buffer there against Babylon. But God gives us further insight than just the politics of it. He says that nations are doing battle around you. That's what that's what's talked about in the previous two chapters. And he tells just and he tells Josiah, there's things happening that are out of your control. There's things that I'm doing among the nations that uh, are going to affect you, but that you cannot stop. And so not only does it show not only does what Josiah's actions here show us that in times of success, and that's certainly what Judah had. The temple was cleaned out. Passover's going good. Things are happening. Right. They got the book of the law. They got the priests, the Levites, the music. They got it all going right. Things look like they're getting better. Not only can we be tempted to take on fights that we are not ready for or they're not our own, but 
Also this, when we are out of God's will, he can advise us from the most obvious and the most unlikely of places. You see, what God does in the life of Josiah here is an intervention. (laughs) Even before Josiah makes the trip out to meet Nico, sends out uh, those ambassadors to meet him, God intervenes in Josiah's life. And he tells him that um, he tells him he reveals his plan, which I've already mentioned about what God is going to do in his life. He does that through a prophetess named Huldah. And he does that uh, through the priests as they read the word of God to him. And then he even does that through Nico himself. We read in our text how Nico tells him, uh, I'm doing something for God here. Get out of my way. <laughs> Paraphrase. But that's basically what he told him there, wasn't it? He says, you're stopping God's plan. So God was involved in the other nations. And it was something that God had given Josiah insight to. But not only that, but Josiah was not only didn't not only did he have an intervention from Nico and from the prophet Hulda, but he had the daily intervention of the word of God. Would you mind turning with me to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17? Deuteronomy chapter 17. We're going to be in verse 18 through 20. Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. God is giving a prescription for how his nation is going to be ruled. And this is in the book of Deuteronomy. Most likely the book that they had found in the temple. Something that the priests had read to Josiah. Something that when the priests had read to Josiah, the whole nation fell down in repentance and said, Oh, we are we we have sinned against God and we're not doing anything the way God told us to do. And there was this great revival and repentance. And even the Bible even tells us in Second Chronicles that Josiah made the people stand to it. He made them pledge right then and there. He made him make a, a grown up decision and say, if this is God's word, if we are going to be God's people, then we are going to stand to this law and we are going to obey it. And all the people said, amen, we're with you. And they had recommitted themselves just like they did at the foot of Mount Sinai, just like they would do again uh, in the time of uh, many other prophets. They would affirm, yes, that is God's word and we are going to obey it. But not only did they have that time of revival, but they had the daily witness. Look at Deuteronomy 17, verse 8. God's prescription for the leader of Israel. And it shall be, when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. Did you catch that? God said, if you're going to rule over my people, step number one after your coronation, get out a pen and paper and make a copy of the Bible. I need an amen. Aren't you glad you got to buy your Bible? You didn't have to make a hand copy. I actually knew a guy in college that was making a hand copy of his Bible. That was his devotions. And it was red letter edition, beautiful cursive. That's a lot of work. That's a big commitment. I'm glad someone else printed this Bible. Amen. I'm glad I didn't have to hand write it out. God said, here's the first thing you do when you become a leader over my people. Get yourself a copy of the Bible. What next? Verse 19. And it shall be with him. So not only get yourself a copy, but you don't go stick it on the shelf somewhere and let it collect dust. You keep it with you. I said, you keep the Bible with you. You know, I I love this age of technology, how we've got a Bible everywhere, right? I've got it on my cell phone. I've got it on my iPad, my computer. Uh, I don't have an um, Apple Watch, but if I did, then it would be on there. I mean, you can have it. You can have the Bible everywhere. And I'm not against that. You know, whatever pastor says about that is fine. But I'm just saying there's 
There's something to having it with you. It reminds you. I mean, yeah, I've got it on my phone, but how, much, how often do I actually look at my phone and open up the Bible app? Not really that often, just to be perfectly honest with you. But when I have the book itself, literal copy, I know I'm meddling a little from what the text says here, but when you have a copy of it around you, I tell you, it just makes a difference in your life. I can remember when I was in high school and, and uh, I wanted to be a, a, you know, a more committed Christian and I was newly saved and I really didn't know what to do. I was in a public school and I really had no, I mean, I was, you know, my last name was Newberger, so kind of a geek, right? And uh, I was much thinner than I am now. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what to do. So I just took my gift of word Bible that they gave me when I got baptized. And instead of keeping it in my backpack and instead of keeping it at home, I just carried it. And that just kind of became my thing. That Mike was the guy that carried around his Bible and always had it on his desk and had it at the lunch table. And I know that sounds goofy and silly and I'm not trying to make a, I'm just saying having it around me. It brought up conversations with other people. It made me remember to read the thing every day. There was just something about having it near me. It brought a a certain amount of divine accountability to my life. I want to ask you, does this Bible sit on the shelf between services? Does this Bible stay in the car between services? Or is this book a part of your life? Is it around you? Is it near you? Is it close to you? Brother Mike, why, why is that such a big deal? Well, God said the king had to. If it's good enough for a king, then I guess it's good enough for us. I mean, did God want the king to be successful with his people? Absolutely he did. He wasn't rooting against any kings. He wanted the king to be successful. I mean, if that were the case, he would have done away with the kings with Saul. But God had mercy. God had grace. God had long-suffering. He wanted the kings to succeed. And one of the prescriptions for how they were going to succeed is day one, you get yourself a copy of this thing and you have it with you. You have it with you. Let me encourage you to have your Bible with you. Thank you, by the way. You, you all gave me this Bible here. I like it very much. And it, verse 19. And it shall be with him. Watch this. And he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. Let me pause there for just a second. Did, did you hear what God's command was for his leader? Not only to get himself a Bible, not only to keep it with him, but then read it every single day. This isn't some new Baptist invention of how to get people more involved in their Bible. God said back in the book of Deuteronomy, if you're going to lead my people, you need to get yourself a Bible and then you have to read it every single day. Why, Brother Mike? Here's why. He tells him why. He shall read it therein all the days of his life. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God. To keep all his words of this law and these statutes and to do them. Watch verse 20. That his heart be not lifted up above his brethren and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom. He and his children in the midst of Israel. He said he had a prescription for how the leader of his people was supposed to live. He was supposed to have a copy of the Bible. He was supposed to keep it with him. And he was supposed to read it every day. Why? So he could learn to fear the Lord. Now, why would God say to do that? Because if man does not have the influence, and a woman, does not have the influence of the Word of God in their life every single day, when you open up the Bible, you're saying, I submit myself to this. You're saying, yeah, I've got a degree. I've got work training. I've got life experiences, but I am opening this book up like no other book. And I am saying this is the authority in my life. I'm saying if there's something wrong in my life, 
This book is going to help me make it right. I'm going to submit myself to its teachings. I am going to look at it as it tells me to look at it as a mirror. That means you look in the Bible. If you if you can go days and weeks without reading the Bible, it, excuse me, with reading the Bible and never see anything in it that applies to your life. And I've, I've actually heard people say that I've read the Bible, never found it to be relevant then you ain't reading it right or you're not saved or something is seriously wrong because this Bible is a mirror. You look in it, you look in the most obscure passages in this book and you say, that's just like today. That's just like, that's just like something happening. If that's not happening, there is something spiritually wrong in your life. There, that is a huge red flag. Because he said when the king was supposed to do is look in this Bible. Why? So he could learn to fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord does not mean being scared of the Lord necessarily. Like he's some sort of ogre tyrant up there that wants to throw lightning bolts on us. The fear of the Lord is understanding that God is God and you are not. It's that deep, divine respect for his power and his authority. Part of being in the book every day was so that the king would understand to fear the Lord. Because he'd have power. He'd have a crown. He'd have a robe. He'd have a throne. He'd have servants. He'd be telling you, go there and do that. You go do it. Oh, that's fine. I'll do that too. You go there and do that. You go. And have all this power. And it would, it, would, it would, in a certain sense, stroke his own ego. What was the check against that? What was the way to make sure that that didn't get out of control? Have a Bible. Keep it with you. Read it every single day. Can I tell you that our pride is no different than any king of Israel? That when we have authority, and let me tell you something. As Americans, we have an incredible amount of authority. Even, I was you know, meditating on this in the year 2015. It is incredible the authority we have with one of these. With a few clicks of this device, my smartphone here, for those of you in uh, online internet land listening to this, I can, a few clicks, I can have a car pull up right at the door. In a few clicks, I can have my favorite Chinese meal brought to my door with Grubhub, with Uber, you know, calling a car. A few clicks on this, and I can have what Amazon has like a half a million items in their inventory, and I can have it same day shipped in New York City with a few clicks. I'm saying in America today, we live like kings. With a few clicks, we can have anything that our heart desires. It's incredible. We can live like kings. You think that would create some pride in an American heart, in an American life? A sense of ego, a sense of, yeah, I can... I can get what I need. I can do what I want. A sense of independence. What's the check against that? Getting a Bible, keeping it with you, and reading it every day. Why? To learn the fear of the Lord. There was another thing that he mentioned there too. Verse 20, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren. The king was supposed to understand that you weren't king just by divine right. We're not talking about kings of England here. We're talking about kings of Israel. That it wasn't just enough to be the king's son, although many king's sons became kings. But that wasn't enough. You had to be appointed by God. The priest had to come and put his blessing on you and appoint you a king or you couldn't be king. What did that mean? It means his heart wasn't supposed to be lifted up above his brethren. In other words, you were supposed to understand there's no divine right of kings. You're just, I'm standing three feet above you, so let me get down here just to illustrate the point. That we're the same. That we put... You know, we, we get dressed the same one shoe at a time that we're there. There's nothing special about us. See, the, the, he, the kings of the heathen nations at that time and even still today believed that their king was a god. Right. They believed that their king was divine, that when he was appointed king, he was uh, appointed king not only by God, but that he became a god, that there was divinity in everything that he said and everything that he did. 
And some nations still today believe that about their, about their leaders. God was saying, that's not how the nation of Israel works. That's not how my kingdom, my people work. My people, my, the leaders of my kingdom understand that they need to fear me, that I have authority, sovereign authority over this nation, that they're not the be-all and end-all of what happens in this nation, that I have sovereign authority over it. And not only that, they're supposed to understand they're not any better than their brethren around them, that they're flesh and blood all the same, and all the pride and all the uh, malice in, their, in the hearts of their brethren, it's possible in their own lives as well. That they can make a mistake just like anybody else. Their hearts were not supposed to be lifted up. How would they know that, Brother Mike? By being in the Word of God every day. That was the prescription given by Moses. Stay in this book, it will keep you humble. Stay in this book and you'll understand. Oh, I'm not anything special. I'm a sinner saved by grace. It's why we can sing songs like Amazing Grace. Only Christians can sing that. What does it say? That saved a wretch like me. There's a guy on the internet, I like what he says. He says, I'm the wretch that song talks about. I like that. Or I'm the wretch the song talks about. I like that little catchphrase motto. That's a good, good life motto. I'm that wretch. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Well, there was one other thing that I was supposed to do there in the text before you. Verse 20, that his heart be not lifted up his brethren and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. So God said that you were supposed to understand the fear of the Lord, understand that you're not above your brethren and that you would not turn aside from God's commandment. In other words, you can't just fill yourself up with the word of God and then say, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do, and just keep on going. I mean, do they do that at your job? I think every professional career out there, there is on-the-job training. There is companies bring in a specialist, and they retrain you in a certain thing. And uh, even people that work in uh, manufacturing trades or uh, in um, work like plumbing and construction are always learning. They're always perfecting their craft, doctors, lawyers, whatever the case may be. There's constant uh, need to educate yourself, to re-educate yourself, to update your knowledge, to, to find out what the latest research is in your particular field or any innovations or anything like that. There needs to be a constant renewal happening if you're going to stay at your game, so to speak. God said, that's important for my leader as well. He needs to be in the Word of God every day so that he's not turning to the right hand or to the left. It's like, have you ever been in Riptide in the ocean? Any ocean goers in here? Okay. No? Nobody? Okay. Well, if you're in the ocean, okay, you hear about it in the news these days. And riptide happens when you're swimming and there's a current above the water or at the top of the water and below the water. And you may have all the best intentions to go one way, but the current is taking you another way. And you get caught in riptide and the current's going to take you one way, even if you want to go the other way. Can I tell you that there's currents in life and you may be on the straight and narrow way, but a current can come and you may have the best intentions and it's going to want to steer you off the other way. What does God's check against that? Be in his word every day. It'll keep you from going to the right hand or to the left, from getting you off course. That was God's prescription for his leaders. And he said the promise, the fulfillment of following that is they would prolong the days of his kingdom and his children in the midst of Israel. So what did Josiah do? He got his eyes off the word of God. One commentator, I've, I read pages after I read page after page of uh, you know notes about this text, and one guy put it best. He just said his pride got the best of him. That's good. That saves me a lot of reading. His pride just got the best of him. His pride got in the way of his focus on the Word of God. Uh, let me skip down here for the sake of time. Let's see what time are we? Okay. So let me ask you this. Let, let's just get to the, the the heart of it. 
Let me ask you this first. I'm not going to have you turn there, but 1 Kings chapter 12. You have to read 1 Kings chapter 12 to really understand what's the big deal about Israel going off into the Syrian captivity. What's the big deal about Judah going off into Babylonian captivity? Brother Mike, why would God treat his people like that? It's all about 1 Kings chapter 12. That's where Jeroboam had decided that it was no longer politically expedient for him for everyone to come to Jerusalem and worship there. That he felt threatened by that, of everyone going to Jerusalem to worship. He had a problem with that. He, he didn't like that idea that they were supposed to go to this place where the king in Jerusalem didn't have a whole lot of authority. That was the priests and the Levites. That was pretty much their territory, the temple. The king didn't really have a whole lot of say of what went on in there. That threatened him. That made him feel insecure. And so he set up two alternative worship sites that were geographically more uh, appealing. You didn't have to travel as far for feasts and things like that. And he, he didn't like the process of the Levites and the priests, uh, the, the Levitical line of priests. He didn't like that whole process. And that he didn't get to have any say in what was going on. So he usurped their authority and he created his own line of priests out of poof, thin air by executive order, by fiat. And he said... No, these guys are going to be the priests in this city and in this city. That's First Kings chapter 12. And that's why when you uh, read through the life of the kings, it always says, yeah, this king did good, paraphrase, this king did good, but he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam. In other words, he kept that uh, alternative worship practice in place. And that alternative worship practice encompassed this idea, the idea that we can define the terms by which we serve God. Oh, I'll serve the Lord God. But I'm going to do it my way. Oh, yeah, I know how y'all you do it. Yeah, going to Jerusalem. But, you know, I'm special. I'm unique. You know, God's given me special insight about this. And if you knew my background, you'd understand that I'm meant for a lot more than that. And, and you know what? Yeah, I, oh, yeah, Jehovah, he's God. But, uh, you know, I have a unique way of thinking about that. I have a special way. Oh, the Bible says that. Well, yeah, I, I understand. But you've got to understand that was written by a certain group of people and blah, blah, you know, and so on and so forth. Does this sound familiar to anybody today? So we can define the terms by which we serve God and therefore define who God is and what he expects of us. It is a complete violation of the Ten Commandments and specifically the first and the second. The first being that you would love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. That you would completely give yourself over to who God is. Every part of you. And the second commandment, probably the most violated in their day and still today, was that you weren't supposed to have any graven image. Did you hear what I said? The most violated commandment today, Pastor Mike's opinion, the second commandment, no graven image. In other words, you don't build a God to suit your own needs. That's what people do in the East, isn't it? They get some clay. They build a statue. They say, this is, this is my God. If I do this, he's happy with me. If I don't do this, he's mad at me. If I do this, he'll be happy with me again. And if I don't do this, he's mad at me again. And they define who God is. And what he expects. Can I tell you that Christians do that today? Or people that call themselves Christians? They say, this is how I serve God. And yeah, I know what the Bible says, but I have my own special way. And God told me something, gave me a vision. And, uh, you know, so yeah, you guys go on to your church thing. And, you know, that's fine. But, you know, I have my own kind of special way of serving God. You know what that's called? The sins of Jeroboam. And can I say to anyone who thinks that they can get away with that sort of thinking, if God was willing to wipe out the Jewish people, his beloved Jewish nation, for the sins of Jeroboam, what do you think he's going to do with you? 
That's the sins of Jeroboam. Brother Mike, this is not very encouraging. Don't worry, we're getting there. So why did Josiah stand against Egypt? I think that's the question that perplexes me as we're closing tonight. Why did he do it? Everything was going great. Why would he involve himself in something like this? Josiah, things are going good. The king of Egypt isn't even interested in you. He's trying to get around you to go deal with the Assyrians. Why why would you get involved in that? Based on everything we've talked about tonight, let me give you my best answer. Josiah stood against Egypt because he let his successes deceive him into thinking he could reform the plan of God, the plan, excuse me, the plan that God had for the nation. Let me say that again. Josiah stood against Egypt because he let his successes, the fulfilling of the Passover, cleaning out of the temple, appointing the right priests, getting everything straight in the nation and the cities around them. He let his successes deceive him into thinking he could reform the plan that God had for the nation. Can I bring that home to you tonight? Our persistence in our own way can be our undoing. I need an amen or a head bob. The persistence in our own way can be our undoing. Josiah had to have it his way. He had to be involved. What was his justification? Look at all the great things that have happened in the past. Look at how good I'm on a roll here. And he sticks his nose where it doesn't belong. He throws a wrench in God's plan by thinking he has some divine right to get involved. He breaks, he violates everything that God had said in Deuteronomy. It was supposed to keep the word of God, keep the king in check, the word of God. He violated all of them. He got his eyes off the word of God. And his own persistence became his undoing. He persisted in his attempt to stop the king. And as we read in the text, he was killed in battle. Kind of interesting that there was a previous king who, the Bible even said, hated the Lord. And somebody shot a bow at a venture and it killed him. And in similar fashion, Josiah, who was a good king, met the same fate. You see, this is where self-deception takes you. When you get it in your mind that you are, uh, that whatever the word of God says does not apply, or you, you simply put it out of your mind and you forget what it says, that's where self-deception takes you. It takes you to a place where you are without protection. He disguised himself and went out into battle. Kind of a silly thing to do. It left him without protection. You see, if, if you go into the battle as a king, dressed in all the kingly robes and all that, no one shoots at you. There's like that rules of warfare thing, you know, and the king stay back here and the other king stays here and the, bat, the armies just fight and then whoever, then they surrender. But he disguised himself. The protection that God had given him, he threw it away. <laughs> this is my own personal note. He looked ridiculous. <laughs> it says in verse 22, nevertheless, in second, back in Second Chronicles 34, verse 22, nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him but disguised himself that he might fight with him. It takes you to a place where you are without protection, where you look ridiculous and untimingly are struck when you least expect it. When you leave the protection of the word of God, Proverbs 10, verse 8 is fulfilled in your life. The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. Why did Josiah stand against Egypt? Josiah stood against Egypt because he lit his successes to save him into thinking he could reform the plan that God had for the nation. 
But can I tell you this tonight? That Josiah isn't the only one to do this. You know, we hear about people, successful people making big mistakes all the time, don't we? In fact, we have many newspapers that that's pretty much all they print every day is about what's going on in the life of some celebrity or some politician. And they're just basically waiting for their demise. So here's my question. Why do seemingly successful people make a huge mistakes with their lives? Perhaps you read a story, an article, or, or perhaps even a situation close to you in your life and say, why, why did that, you know, you heard about this celebrity, they, they married a supermodel, this seems like they got everything, uh, in quotations there, obviously that doesn't mean anything, but they married this, you know, supermodel or this, uh, this uh, major uh, male celebrity or something like that, and it seemed like they had the perfect light and then one cheats on the other. And there's adultery, and there's a messy divorce, and there's uh, uh, Cadillacs being smashed into with bats, in the case of Tyler, Tiger Woods or something like that. You say, why does a person that has everything go and mess up their life like that, make such a ridiculous mistake? Or why did that, I, I, I remember reading uh, more than one time about a millionaire who got caught shoplifting. You ever read a story like that? Millionaire gets caught shoplifting. Why would they do that? I think sometimes that's why we read those stories, because they make us feel better about ourselves. We'd say, yeah, I would never do that. It's just self-deception. It manifests itself in all sorts of different ways. They just happen to be a celebrity, so they get in the newspaper. Or we say to ourselves, that guy or that lady had it all. Why would they throw it all away for such a few minutes of pleasure, for just a little bit extra gain, for a little bit of deception in their life? Why would they do that? Answer. Successful people make huge mistakes because they allow their success to deceive them into thinking they know better than God. See, this is where self-deception takes you. It makes you think you know better than God. The word of God is pushed out of your life. So that means all reason, all instruction is gone and you turn to the right hand or to the left. Let this be a lesson for everyone in a church tonight that we, we live in a blessed time in history to proclaim the gospel. And maybe you feel like the political climate or whatever is not so blessed these days. But can I just tell you, it is a great time to serve the Lord. 2015 is a great time to be a Christian. But Brother Mike, things are so dark. That's exactly what I mean. That when things are dark, it's so much easier to let your light shine. It takes so little effort to be different from this culture. To hold a door open. To say, please... Thank you. To just be kind and then say the reason that I am. Oh, what? You're, you're strange. Why are you so kind? Well, I'm kind because God's been kind to me. You know, all that God's done for me, I figured I can, be, I can be nice to other people. Or, you know, that old golden rule, that's from the Sermon on the Mount. And, and just being a witness is so easy today. I said it's easy today to be a witness, to let your light shine because the world is dark. And when you light a light on the sidewalk in the middle of the day, no one sees it, no one cares. But if we have a blackout and you light a light on the sidewalk... Everyone stares at it because it's, 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 a, it's a light of hope. It's something they can fix their eyes to. And there are, event, there are events in our culture in the last hundred years or so that would indicate that, um, although we, we've had, well, let me put it this way, we've had religious reform in our culture. I'm glad it says in God we trust on our money. I don't know if you noticed that lately, but it still does actually say that. That although our president said we are, we are not a Christian nation, we are a Christian nation, Amen. That, that Christian values, that the Bible has an influence on our law and on our life. And although that may be eroding, I'm glad for the blessed history our nation has. But there's definitely some evidence that though we've had religious reforms in our nation, 
times of great religious prosperity where buildings like this could have been built, where um, uh, where Christianity, where talking about God and, and Jesus Christ, where it flowed off the lips of our leaders and, and there was a great religious reform in our nation. It's definitely being indicated by today's events that although we've had religious reform, just like they did, that it really hasn't stuck in the hearts of the people. And then from one generation to the next, those religious reforms have found to be shallow and to not stick in the hearts of people. So that's what happened in the nation of Israel. Yeah, they had religious reform, but in their homes and in their hearts, there wasn't any change. They were still idolaters. And we see that even some evidence of that, some parallels of that in our own nation. Can I tell you this? God has a plan. Our part in that plan is to spread the gospel. We're in the church age to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to teach them um, God's word. And his part is yet to be revealed. Now, he's shown us in the book of Revelation and even according to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospels that he has a future plan. And we've been given some details about that plan. And it's amazing how we could spend years studying and preaching about future events. And yet at the same time, we know so little of what actually is going to happen. We, so, we know so little. So just like in Josiah's time, the same thing. We have a part to play. God has a part to play. We're not to try to figure out God's part. He has his part and he's given us our instructions, our orders. Can I tell you how this message just really uh, speaks to my own life is in terms of uh, being down there in Greenpoint in the day-to-day ministry it's, it's really spoken to me about uh, not defining my ministry for myself. You see, there's a lot of celebrity preachers out there. Maybe you follow some on Facebook, on Twitter, or have read their books, where preachers are taking upon them uh, this celebrity culture where they build a following, followers. How many followers do I got? Okay, I've got... Now, the publishing company told me if I get 5,000 followers, then I can publish the book, and that'll guarantee that I'll, I'll sell at least 2,000 copies, and that's a total profit. That's how Christianity, unfortunately, works. In the, and I'm talking about Christianity at, at large, not what's going on in this church, praise God, but what's going on out there in Christianity is we have a celebrity culture, and the heart and root of it all is pride and money. Developing a following, I'm not going to be anyone's follower so they can sell a book, amen? I'm just not going to do it. I am not going to do it. That's why most of my favorite books... And Christianity are written by guys that are long dead and uh, their books are out of copyright. Nobody's making any money on them. But even down in Greenpoint, does not say, okay, well, let me tell you what I'm going to do here in Greenpoint. I got to let God tell me what I'm going to do. I got to read my Bible every day for myself, not just for a sermon, but for my soul. Not just so that I can tell people how to not turn to the right or to the left, but so that I don't turn to the right hand or to the left. Not just so I can tell people to not be prideful, but so that I can know I'm not better than anybody else. And we've had uh, staggering drunks come through the door there in North Brooklyn Baptist Church. And we've had people with a, uh, uh, with a violent criminal background walk through the door. And we've had people with all kinds of uh, uh, serious problems in their life walk through the door. And one thing about me being in the Word of God every day reminds me when those kind of people walk through the door, I'm not any better than them. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That I needed the gospel just as bad as they need the gospel. That if God could transform my life, he absolutely can transform theirs. Let it be a lesson to every individual. One thing that would have helped Josiah was to just focus on what he knew he was supposed to do. Let's be excellent in the basic things that God would have us to do. Be in the word. Be in prayer. Be a witness. Communicate love. Raise our families. Let's focus on the things we know God wants us to do. And let's not go stick our nose out where it doesn't belong, where we're confronting the Pharaoh of Egypt where we're out where we don't belong, where we've turned to the right hand or the left. 
Don't be tempted to say, look, uh, look how good I'm doing. I deserve this. That's when you deceive yourself. You say, look at all the success I have. Well, that means I'm ready for this. No, 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 no. Don't do that. You let God put you in the right battles. If you're doing, don't, in fact, I would encourage you, don't go out looking for battles. If you're doing right, the battle will come to you. I promise you that. We've had to learn that in North Brooklyn, that I could go post some things on our Facebook page tonight and we would have a battle going in our neighborhood. That's not what I'm supposed to do. We're supposed to do right. We're supposed to minister to people. We're supposed to preach the gospel. And if we do that effectively, it'll only be a matter of time. The battle will come to us. <laughs> but when it does come, we won't be disguised and looking silly and ridiculous like Josiah, but we'll be in God's protection. We'll be behind the shield of faith where we belong. You've heard of the ostrich, right? He sticks his head in the sand because he doesn't want to know what's going on around him. Sometimes a Christian can do that. He sticks his head in the sand of his own success. He doesn't want to know about all the possible problems of doing the wrong thing. He just wants to stick his head in the sand of his own success. One person put it this way. When an ostrich buries its head in the ground to avoid unpleasant facts, it not only represents an undignified spectacle. It looks kind of silly, doesn't he? It also constitutes an irresistible target. And when we're wrapped up in our own self-deception, when we're wrapped up in ourselves in pride, we don't even realize it, but we put a huge target on ourselves. You see, the devil isn't looking to break your door down. He's just looking for you to leave the door cracked open. And if you leave it cracked open through your own pride, through your own self-deception, it'll be enough for him to, him to come in and wreak havoc. See, the devil isn't looking for people that are saying, man, I, I really want the devil's advice about this. No Christian ever said that, right? Man, I wonder what the devil thinks about this. No, he's not looking for that. He's just looking for people that simply don't want to hear what God thinks about this. They just don't want God's advice. He says, if you won't take God's advice, what will you take? What will you listen to? God was finishing with Jeroboam, excuse me, what Jeroboam had started with Babylon. That's what he was doing in the nation of Israel. Jeroboam had started it, and God was going to finish it with Babylon. Can I tell you that today God has, God has finished Excuse me, God is going to finish what Adam started with Antichrist. He's got future plans coming for this world. Soon it will be as it was then. God will show man what it is like to live under a tyranny of darkness. Can I tell you that God has started something in you? Let him finish it. In fact, that brings a verse to mind. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Josiah had such a good start, but he didn't have a good finish. Whatever your start is, wherever you're here tonight, where are you going to go from? Where are you going to go to tonight? Who are you going to follow? There's a great hymn that sums it up well, and this will be our, this will be our uh, closing statement. It's a great hymn that we sing here all the time. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, wholly thine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit. Truly know that thou art mine. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessings fall on me. The chorus says, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Does God have all of you tonight? I, I, 
I think Josiah maybe expected that because he had done so good, there was no way he could go wrong. And folks, if God has blessed your life, praise God for that. Give him glory for that. But don't mistake yourself into thinking that that means you can do no wrong. We all need God's grace in our life. We all need his mercy. We all need times. That's why we have revival meetings sometimes. Bring another preacher in here. It's fresh perspective. Same message, just fresh presentation. Kind of wakes us up a little bit. We say, oh, I'm I'm off track. I've gone to the right hand, to the left. Kind of wakes us up. Can I tell you, Josiah needed that. God had tried to send it to him. Obviously, he had a very close relationship with Jeremiah, but he wouldn't listen. And he went off, and it was his doom. Don't let self-deception into your life. Trust the Lord both at the start and the finish of your walk with him. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the Bible, the great characters of the Bible. And Lord, even though Josiah really messed up, you still brought him to the grave in peace. He still, he wasn't taken off by some heathen king and his body humiliated. But you brought him back home. He was buried with the kings of Israel. Lord, I, I, I just pray for, I, I don't know any situation in the room tonight really at all. But Lord, if there's a Christian here who's just full of pride, and maybe they're about to go off and make a big mistake, they're about to confront some King Nico in their life, they're about to get out of your will and do something drastic, and they don't even realize it, that it's, they're heading to destruction. God, I, I pray you maybe some, in some way use this, this message, God, to speak to that, that person, to throw up a flag, a warning sign, slow down. Lord, if, if, even if there isn't some critical situation like that, God, it, it's, it can happen subtly in every heart, in my own heart. We get our eyes off the Word of God. And onto ourselves. We think just because we've had success in the past that we take for granted. We go off presumptuously. Lord, it's the, it's the story of the Bible. It's the story of man's pride. It's the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. Saying, oh, it's, it's with Satan's original deception. Yea, hath God said. Lord, it's still active today. Lord, we see in our nation leaders that that think because America's have been blessed thus far that we're invincible, that we can never be, that there can never not be in America. And Lord, we're, we're such a young country, and yet we don't even realize the, the, the rise and fall of nations. We don't think that that applies to us. And if, Lord, we feel as a culture we're just, we're running out in front of a King Nico, and we just think that we're going to be okay. God, I pray for our nation, for our culture for America, for our churches, for, our belief, for the believers here, for our world. God, as we take this time of invitation, may you examine the pride of each heart. May you draw us back to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. If God's spoken to you tonight, let's have a time of invitation. Brother Franz is going to sing.